Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my coaching business in which I work with leaders. This is part two of my conversation with Jared Mosley. Jared is the athletic director at the University of North Texas. During part two, Jared and I discuss his first 30 days on the job, the hiring process, hiring a sitting head coach versus a sitting assistant coach, success versus significance, and much, much more. Jared is a total stud of a leader, super relational and humble. So without further ado, my conversation with Jared Mosley. So uh, December 22nd, I think I read, is when you took over. What, maybe give some insight into uh, what the first, I don't know, let's go 30 days. You take over an organization. Mm-hmm. What the first thirty days look like? What'd you do? That uh, we got to rewind a couple of weeks uh, before I was formally named because Ren left the institution, um, found itself in the middle of a football search without an athletic director, and so you know, President Sumatra's got you know. I sat down with him, and he said, "Hey, we can't afford to wait." Uh, we're running going to run kind of a simultaneous process. We're going to try to run an interview, ser- uh, an AD search, um, of which you'll be a part of the process. But I need you to go ahead and start. I trust you to start the football search. So work with the search firm, get your candidate pool together, do the initial run. Hopefully by that time we've got it lined up. And whoever's the AD, if it's you, great. We've got a head start. If it's somebody else, they at least can look at the work and decide whether they're ready to move forward or if they want to start over, but let's try to maximize our window here. And, you know, so the, the beauty of it was I went through, I was doing leg work. So I wasn't really thinking about winning this job. It was really focusing on getting, keeping things moving and, and trying to get this search to a good place. And, and ultimately, so when, um, when I am hired, we we were ready to move fairly quickly and within a, a few days end up hiring Eric Morris to fill our football position. And so you spend really those next, that's over the that's over the Christmas holiday. And so your staff's away, people aren't they're away from campus. So it's really how quickly can we onboard football during a holiday break? Um, but then I, I really spent a lot of time thinking through, okay, you've got I had a couple of weeks where I could all right, how are you going to establish your vision for this place? How are you going to uh, speak through you, not you as the old chief operating officer, you're now the athletic director. How are you going to be intentional about what that's going to look like and feel like to where, you know, people kind of know where we're headed. And I felt like that was really important. I've never done that, to be honest, from an, it being an internal candidate before. And it is different. When you walk into somewhere you're not familiar with, you kind of get the courtesy of a six-month, get around, get to know people, get a lay of the land, listen to a lot of folks. You know, But really, for us, the beauty was Ren had put me in with our – we were in the middle of a strategic plan at that point. And so all those things, I'd already been in the middle of that process. So – it was really how do we line this stuff up, but how are you going to use your voice to um, articulate where we're headed and how are you going to construct the department? So, you know, I spent those first few weeks really thinking through our structure because I've, I've, I've got different gifts and talents than what Ren had, and I need to spend my time 
heavy on the, I say the external side, but I, we know we've got to raise a significant amount of money to get one of our big projects done. We, you know, we've got to engage more people in what we do. And, and the only way I know to do that is face-to-face, like relationships, people hearing our passion for what we want to do for student athletes. So I really spent those first couple um, weeks and that first uh, probably six weeks articulating, you know, my, my vision for what we want to do, putting our team in the right place, getting Connor on boarded. Um, and then really just trying to keep, you know, we've got so much going on between strategic plan release. We're needing to expand our athletic center. We've got the American Athletic Conference transition, which kicks off July 1. And so all of your marketing plans and, and things around that, you know, and so um, there's been enough work here. We did, you know, there's been no idle time, which I think has been helpful because we've just had to you know, keep things moving along and, and um, lean on on a great team to get us where we all feel we can get. Were there any points over the last several months where you're like, all right, I'm I'm acting like Ren or I'm not where you've had to, or or any leader that you've been around where you've had to kind of catch yourself and say, no, this is the lane. This is my voice. This is this is this is me. I need to adjust and not try to be not try to fill shoes, not try to act like somebody else. You know what? I've I've always been very comfortable in kind of who I am and my my leadership style. Um I I I I think when you see leaders either start to overthink that or try to be something that they're not, like it you, there's a disconnect and it's just not authentic and you see it kind of feels forced. And so I, I've never found myself kind of leaning that direction. Uh, you know, and I think credit to Ren, like he's, he was good at letting me lead the way. And it's part of why he hired me is I filled a void where he needed support so he could do things. And so I've I've never really felt that pressure. I think the challenge for me, the biggest challenge for me coming in really was with the team and direct reports, because I kind of was the initial filter for a lot of things coming to Ren's desk. Therefore, I had good relationships with a lot of our staff. Um, and there was a little bit of struggle there early because everybody wanted to maintain that direct line to me because they were comfortable with me and we had a great relationship, but it just isn't feasible in an organization our size to be able to facilitate the communication we need and getting things done. And so that's continued to be a work in progress, just kind of shifting people's comfort level as Connor's come on board and getting him engaged, which he's done a fantastic job of. But, you know, I think that part was the most difficult just because there was such a large, I had a big reporting line yep. and that that's disruptive to them, which I get, but it it's, uh, but we've, we've managed through that. And I feel like we, we continue to make progress there every day. Love it. Okay. Uh, I'd love to talk hiring first before we kind of maybe get into your, your process um, very generally, because obviously each sport is, is, is different. Um, very generally, what are you looking for in a coach? Not obviously the X and O's necessarily, but like you're looking for a coach. What is the grid that you're looking through apart from the sport specific knowledge and can he recruit? That's a great question. And to be honest, it's one, um, if I go back to my time and it's really tough because you, you look in, in hiring coaches and even staff, 
get some phenomenal experience and resumes that come across your desk. And so I kind of, I generally assume if you've been vetted and, and you make it the X's and O's and that part, like you, you got that put together. So I'm not shooting a lot of holes in that. I really try to try to dial into kind of culture. I mean, so, you know, is it somebody who can fit and is a good teammate and is a problem solver that, you know, that, I think at North Texas, I like to see people who have had experience, to be honest, that don't necessarily have every resource at their disposal. They've had to be creative. Um, just because we're not at the tier, you know, we're we're not in the upper echelon of funded programs when you're looking at the power conferences and just kind of where, you know, what they have at their disposal, both in personnel and just, you know, money to allocate to things. And so yeah, I think having somebody who who's going to be a great teammate and fits who 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 can be creative and and being able to build a solid successful program, one that values people. So I, I think the relationship piece, recruiting, getting coaches who have a great track record of building good morale and student athletes who love to play for them, and you know that component um, you can't go wrong with. Um, and then you do need to vet, you need to vet there, you know, uh, depending on what sport it is and, you know, what you're trying to accomplish in that sport. I think you can win a lot of different ways. So I don't get too stuck on style of play, pace of play, you know, whatever you want to fill in the blank. But I do think having an understanding, you know, given where we're at in the state of Texas, you've got a humongous recruiting base. And so, I think having connections to the state is great in certain sports just because it is such a close knit um, community and network. Uh, and so having people who have had success in Texas, I think is important. So th- those are three or four things I'd point to that probably, you know, beyond the X's and O's and recruiting that, you know, have tended to, to service well here at UNT. Yeah. Okay. So um, coach leaves. What's your walk us through your your process of hiring? So, you know, I think a lot of it depends on a little bit the sport. Um, but coach Lee's, we generally have I, I track all the time and and it's there's kind of a network of folks out there in the business that uh, we talk often. And so I keep a running list as people have worked with certain coaches. You, you try to watch the levels above you, below you, uh, the same as you, uh, and just pay attention to people who are having success, people who have good reputations. You know, if we're at conferences and I hear somebody talk about how great their coach is or, you know, how kids love this coach, like uh, we make a note. And so we we keep a running list um, of people we feel like at any given time if we found ourselves in a search who would be high on our, our radar. Um, Connor. I was responsible for tracking that with Ren and I have him tracking that for me, but we have a spreadsheet that tracks, you know, salaries, buyouts, win loss, conference, win loss, um, championships, won, post seasons, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of runs the gamut of data so that, you know, we can move quickly. And I will say for most searches, we do utilize search firms. So it's great because we can give them that initial list, but then they can vet, people we may not have thought of or that they've had in other searches. Um, the search firms we've worked with, to be honest, they generally know 
us personality wise and kind of what our institution, you know, kind of the profile that works here. And so it's, um, I found that to be extremely helpful. So we, we bring them in early, um, and, you know, in the world of coaching, most of the time you're not in the a search, uh, you're not the lone search in the country. So there is some uh, urgency to trying to get started. And so leveraging, leveraging, um, that search firm to kind of help you put a process in place where you can move quickly uh, has been very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I try to keep my circle fairly tight just from a communication standpoint, you know, when you're trying to either go out and recruit people who are in, they have jobs currently, like you've got to be, you want to be professional about it and you want to um, be sure that there's no leaks. And so we tend to keep a pretty tight circle when we vet candidates. Um, and and uh, I do pull in in our Olympic sports and others like our sport program admins. If if they're they'll be a part of the process, but usually it's me, Connor, and whoever that sport program admin is, uh, just on head coaching searches. When you move over to staff, it's a little different animal. I think um, the urgency to move quickly is not quite it. It's not the same, so you're afforded a little more time, and so. You know, very similar process, but usually I'll vet when we're vetting senior staff level or below. If it's a, like I, I try to in the on campus interview process, make sure that multiple people are getting uh, opportunities to engage and interact. And then we gather feedback and make sure that we're getting the best fit for you know what we need at the time. Yeah. When you're if you're going to hire a. Uh... You got a potential current assistant coach who's never been a head coach. I'm really fascinated by ADs and how they view this. Um, obviously, if if somebody's a current head coach, you can see, you know, there's some track record that you could maybe figure out. Does that translate here as an assistant coach um, or potential hiring an assistant coach? What what do you have to see from an assistant coach, or what do you have to unearth that you that would make you comfortable hiring an assistant coach as opposed to going with a, 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 a known commodity, so to speak. Yeah. I think so much that's dictated on kind of why you're in the search process to begin with. Was it because a coach left for a better opportunity after a lot of success? Was it a uh, coach leaving because we just hadn't been able to achieve the, the expectations that we had set forth. So, yeah, I, I, I think it. You take North Texas, and I think institution matters too. So, like at North Texas, we had a run there where, in a number of our higher-profile sports, we were elevating assistants or people who had not been head coaches, and that works at some places, and it and it could work at UNT under certain circumstances. But we felt like it had been it had not proven to be productive uh in in some instances so we intentionally started trying to find coaches who had been head coaches before just because i think learning on the fly and you're in a you know a big market with a large campus um there's just a lot of moving pieces and so somebody who's done that before but you know i'll point to our men's basketball search when when coach mccaslin had the opportunity to leave and go to texas tech you know ross hodge has been here with them since day one Ross is a, a, was the associate head coach, internal candidate. 
And in today's day and age, when you've got had success like we have in basketball, you know, one of the questions as an AD you've got to ask is, you know, if you've got a core group of players coming, you risk, if you're going to go through a process, you risk losing one. Ross would have gone with Grant, had Grant, had he, had we not want him to stay here. And so then are you taking three steps back, four steps back, five steps back with a complete roster depletion, guys leaving given the transfer portal? Or in our case, Ross, he, you know, he was a big part of our defensive identity. Um, he'd been in every meeting and, and Grant had given him a lot of uh, insight and leeway and a voice in the program. Ross had been a head coach before, but it's been several years, but he was a very successful junior college coach. And so, you know, that particular instance, it made a lot of sense for us to try to dial in and elevate Ross because he'd earned that opportunity and he's he's the best person possible to keep our current roster and the momentum we've got going, but to continue, you know, your identity and the things you've done. You're not having to start over with a new uh, program, new philosophy, new, you know, fill in the blank. So um, I do think there's instances where um, elevating assistant coaches makes a lot of sense. I just think it's unique to both institution and and the circumstance that you find yourself in the middle of a search for. Sure, sure. Jared, what's the uh, what's the most important thing you bring to the UNT athletic department every day? This gets back to uh, I'll go back over to the kind of my why. Um, when I was sitting over the holidays, I got I was on the elliptical thinking about how am I going to articulate what drives me every day and what I want our program to be known for. I was listening to a podcast by John Maxwell and I think it's in one of his books, but in this podcast, he says, uh, success happens to you. Significance happens through you. And once you've tasted significance, success will never satisfy. Um, And having been a student athlete, I know my heart is for always how do we provide significance in the lives of our student athletes? The wins are important. We're always going to be measured by a scoreboard. We're always going to be measured by did we make postseason? We're always going to be measured by all these things that are elements of success. But at the end of the day, if we're not delivering on the significance piece, whether that's to our student athletes or if we're not delivering significance back to our alumni and donors who invest in our programs, then all that success stuff, it's fleeting, it's temporary, it's not much of a legacy. And so um, I've always felt strongly and I get emotional about it because I know how much athletics has impacted my life and my where I am today, having been a student athlete. And I think back to the coaches who had an intentional approach with me that got the best out of me, called me to things that I never thought I could do, you know, challenged me in ways and in, in that I looking back, you're like, it's amazing. I made it through that, but look where I am today. Um, and so I just, I just want our coaches and our staff every day to wake up feeling like they're doing something that is way more than if you're in the business office, balancing our checkbook. Um, if you're in the ticket office, selling a ticket, but people understanding how they're creating significance in what we want to do here through our athletic program at UNT. Yeah, dude, that's great. I, it reminds me of a story. Um, I'm assuming it's true. JFK was down at NASA and um, 
I think there was a uh, a custodian was sweeping and he said, or, or no, there's this custodian kind of sitting there by, by this, uh, on this, on this bench right outside. And he said something to the effect of, you know, Hey, what do you do here? And he's like, I send people to the moon. Just that idea that w- everything, we all matter. We're all shooting towards the moon. That was their vision. That was their goal. And everyone played that important role. Yes. Even a, even a custodian. Yeah. And, and you know, I think, <clears throat> that's the part that as a leader, I don't want to, I think it's once you kind of get into a rhythm, you've been somewhere a while. I think sometimes you, it's just natural. You kind of feel like you're in, you've got cruise control on, but that's an area I think every day we've got to have our foot on the gas. Like you've got to remind people every day why this is important, why what we do matters. Certainly in the hard days, like, you know, it's uh, you can sometimes question this business and the direction it's going and the things we got ahead, but it's still one of the best classrooms for life for a segment of students who are on college campuses. And we can never underestimate the power of what we do and never take that for granted. So um, it's why every day our staff may get tired of hearing us tout building champions, preparing leaders. They may get tired of me using that Maxwell quote, but I I just think you got to keep that at the forefront to motivate people to, you know, this is worthwhile. It's definitely worth the time and energy and effort we put in because we're putting young people in a position to capitalize on the things they've been gifted with. And you want them to be able to steward those well. Love it. Okay. I end with three questions. The first one is what are you currently reading or maybe listening to podcasts that's helping you grow, keeping you sharp? We we've uh, two books and I've one of them's a reread and one of them we uh, launched right as I got the job with my staff. Um, I'm rereading Extreme Ownership, which I think is just a phenomenal book. Um, when you just think about, I think that we can complicate leadership in so many ways, and I just think that book really dials into at the end of the day if things. If they go well or they don't go well, it's ultimately the responsibility of the leader. And so you got to take accountability. Um, the other one we read as a staff, Power of Moments, I, I think it's one that um, has kind of helped us. I mean, we when we talk about wanting to be transformational and wanting to provide significance, like that one really helps you kind of wrap your head around in different ways to make people creating moments to make people feel connection, to feel special, to, you know, just a deeper level of relationship with you. And so that one's been good. And then one I've gotten the last couple of weeks, I'm only about halfway through it, but it's called 94 X. Um, everything changes when you bring God into your business. Uh, the CEO of Regent bank in Oklahoma, uh, Sean Kuplin and and then Mick uh, Shivanik, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I heard him speak a couple of weeks ago at an event and he gave us these books and it's um it's it's got an interesting um you know perspective as far as you look at the amount of time people spend at work uh compared to the amount of time that people spend in church given the trends in church attendance and just people's view on religion and and it really just he magnifies this principle in some ways he's done this in the banking industry. And so, you know, as a believer, I want to, I want to leverage the platform we've been given, but to do it in a way that I'm not pushing anything down somebody's throat, but I do think there are some principles there that if 
if we can incorporate incorporate that into our culture and our business and just want the best for people, uh, I've never seen people turn down love. I mean, most human beings, they find it and you keep at it. They're drawn to it. And so you, you want to have a, a foundation of that, you know, throughout your organization. So I'm, I'm anxious to get through that one because it's been a good read so far. Love it. Love it. Uh, side note with the uh, power of moments. I don't know if you're familiar with the name uh, Pat Murphy. He's the softball coach at University of Alabama. That's like one of his, that's like his program Bible. He does some moments that he he shared uh, with me. I had him in a cohort a couple years ago. And dude, he leverages that power of moments in, in such a way. He's so unique in how he does that. And it's really impactful. No, it's, um, you know, and you touched on a little bit around the culture piece. Like one of the things, to be honest, it's really, uh, we we kind of took our onboarding process and really broke it down. And it's like, if you want to create, if you want people to stick with you, how do you treat the first day? Like if it doesn't start on day one, you've missed a tremendous opportunity. And so we've reshaped our whole onboarding process to try to create just some of that. but. You know, whether that's with donors, student athletes, like, you know, you're right. It's uh, you see people who have implemented and who are gifted in this ability to create Whether certainly a lot of coaches out there who do a phenomenal job of maximizing very unique, special points in time to to either make a life lesson or to just draw a deeper connection. And it's uh, it's powerful. And I don't want to take us too far down this rabbit trail, but my, my my experience personally for me is it's not so much like my gifting or ability, it's my intentionality. I just sometimes I'm not intentional. It doesn't, it doesn't come to mind. There's not a thought of me that says, let's make this, and we'll just use your, you know, first day on the job. Let's make this unforgettable. Cause in my mind, I'm like, ah, let's just get to work. We love you. Welcome. And so it's an intentionality deal. And I think that's what sets Pat Murphy apart is he is so intentional about this. Yeah, no. And, and I, it's one of those, it's good to have accountability. Like, um, cause I do think it is easy once you get busy to just assume like, Hey, this thing, somebody's going to figure that out. We don't need to spend a lot of time worrying about that, but it, yeah. it could be a critical piece. Totally. Okay. What advice would you give a young person just getting into the, um, athletic administration space? That I, I tell people all the time, I think there's probably maybe two or three things I'd point to. I think one, understand what it is you're doing. So understand the why. Like, what are you getting into college athletics for? Um, and understand the cost. Like, it's it's um, it, in in certain parts, I think are harder in our business just because the time demands and and what you have to put into the job to be successful at it. I think I I encourage people to really think that through um, before you jump in because it's one of the most fulfilling jobs out there. But it can also be, uh, and certainly if you're married and having a family, like you you got to figure out how to balance that, or it's a, it's a tough industry. Um, and really the the biggest piece of advice I have, and I think starting off sometimes it's really just getting your foot in the door. So figure out how to get your way in. And then quickly, you'll if you take care of business, you're going to learn you can navigate a path in college athletics that serves you. But there is a point I feel like once you've got your foot in the door, the the most 
wise counsel I could give anybody is really be intentional about who you choose to go work for. Um, I just think this business, while um, some people may look at it and feel like it's a big industry, it's a very tight knit circle. Um, the the situations you can find yourself in and and the culture um, you can you can either gain life with a good leader and good culture that every day is exciting and you're energized, or you can find one that just sucks life out of you and finds you wanting to leave the industry because uh, it's just not fun to be in. And so I've been very selective, obviously um, haven't moved around a lot, but um, I've turned down a lot of opportunities because they, I just didn't feel like the culture or the people were quite what I wanted to work with every day. And part of that's being blessed, having a great opportunity here and had a great opportunity at UNT. But I, I do think probably telling people to not just chase a job, but really pay attention to who you're networking with and connecting your wagon to like, that'll serve you way better than chasing a title. That's good. And the last question I'll end with this, um, who would you love to hear walk through their journey? Uh, talk about maybe their hiring process, their culture building process. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'll tell you who probably impacted my, uh, perspective on, kind of how I view the role of intentionality and kind of personal development with student athletes was Chris Thompson. Chris um, is, he's the associate head coach at Florida state uh, with coach Norvell. Um, he was our football coach at Abilene Christian university, but uh, I do not know of a human being who's more sold out for just the ability to one create culture, but just creating like student athletes from when I was a student athlete, he was a coach. And and I remember my peers just loving, uh, just taught raving about him. And this is a guy who, I mean, it wasn't like everything was sunshine and rainbows. He held those kids accountable, but he always had something different that he connected um, with his staff and with his players. And, I think he does a tremendous job, uh, and I think he's one people would love to hear from a coach's perspective just how they've done that. Um, I'm going to give you two names that are a little different. Um, they're more on kind of the student-athlete side, and and they've come up through FCA. And um, Joseph Thompson, he's, uh, I think, the metro area director in Houston for FCA, and he's worked with the University of Houston. Um as a team chaplain and and just kind of spiritual development, but he's got a great background, um, you know, coming from, um, I, I don't want to tell his story completely here, say that if, if he's one you follow up with, but just a tremendous human being who capitalized on athletics as a student athlete and now is out there, you know, planting seeds and, and, you know, a significant amount of harvest just in, the souls and, and people he's reaching every day. And then the other one's Kevin Washington. Kevin Kevin is, uh, I think, the director of player development at the University of Texas. Similar background. He got his start in FCA, but I'm proud of those two because I got to see their, their journey start as student athletes and how they've been able to utilize their platform um, to continue to pour into young men, young women, uh, be a positive uh, role model really challenge people to a better version of themselves. And so I think they 
if you look at um if the fruit is is one of the things we want to look at as to how successful we've been those guys have been i mean it's been a great harvest and they continue to pour in and have a tremendous impact in college athletics well i i um i met kevin a couple couple weeks ago when you and i were at acu and as he i didn't know who he was i had no clue he starts talking and i'm literally my first thought is like how do i hire kevin to be to come work with kingdom coaching because that dude's sharp and then I find yeah. out he's on staff with the University of Texas. I'm like, well, <laughs> there goes that. But dude, I was blown away how sharp he was. No, and and I, I you know, I, I think you look at, and those two guys are a product of Chris Thompson, who I, I shared. But it's just amazing to me, and it's not amazing because we've all experienced great coaches, great mentors in our life. But just the ripple effect of people who, who are intentional in this space and how they're going to utilize their time. Like it has kingdom impact. It, yeah. it, it shapes generations. It, it changes people's trajectories for their lives. And uh, again, I think sometimes in coaching, we can get frustrated and feel like the harvest didn't come in soon enough. And we we're worried about seeing the harvest part of that. But, you know, I, I I'm reminded we're just, our jobs to plant the seeds to create the, the culture around it. And we don't know the timing of when things will take root and flourish. And, you know, for some student athletes, it may be not until they're 30 or 40 and have hit a, a bump in the road. And for some, they get it right out of the gate, but I, it's just a tremendous mission field. And so I'm grateful, Travis, for you and the work you do with coaches and administrators, just mm-hmm. pouring into them to, to take advantage of this tremendous platform through sports. and. Um, just an honor to be able to spend a little time with you and uh, constantly um, thinking of you and your work and uh, happy to be able to, to be a small part of that. Yeah. I love it. Well, Jared, thanks for hopping on. Take, thanks for taking time. When I say this, this is not flattery. I have heard so many people rave about Jared Mosley. It hit me when we were at ACU a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, how have I not invited Jared Mosley on my, on my podcast? So You've got some big fans, and I can see why uh, after having spent more time with you today. But yeah, anyways, thanks for for creating space to uh, to talk with us. No, happy to appreciate you.